So let me start with something a little bit lighter. If you could hit slide four. I like, I like church bulletins. Some weird things happen in church bulletins. I'll just let you read it. I'll make a few comments about it. But this, uh, these are, this actually appeared in a real church bulletin. And uh, I think the lesson here is that you, just, you should just spell out what you mean. Stay away from acronyms and abbreviations. All right. It's not working. All right. Let's go to the next one. Uh, I, I, I mean, punctuality is a very big value at this church, apparently. You do not want to be late. So, yeah, you should definitely check for typos when you're doing church bulletins. Here's another one. This one gives me, I, I wonder who the conflict was between. Was it between people in, in the meeting? I, I don't know. There was a peacemaking meeting canceled due to conflict. That's weird. And then the last one is this. This is kind of sad. Uh, Barbara's in the hospital, having trouble sleeping. And so apparently she requests tapes of the pastor's servants. <laughs> Perhaps that would help with the insomnia. I don't know. My prayer today is that this will not put you to sleep because I'm going to speak today uh, on freedom, of course. You can go ahead and just turn those off for a minute, Grace, those slides. So we're going to talk a little bit about freedom. Uh, obviously, it's the 4th of July. I want to wish everybody a happy Independence Day. And uh, yeah, it is a great country. God bless America. God bless all the other countries. They're pretty great, too. So it was, this, it was on this day, 245 years ago, I did some math, I used my calculator, 245 years ago today, the Continental Congress declared that the colonies were no longer subject to England, and that they were instead, they were now united, free, and independent states, which was the first step on the road to freedom. And so since we're celebrating freedom today on this holiday, I thought, why don't we talk a little bit about freedom? What's the cultural perspective on freedom? What's the biblical perspective on freedom? What are the similarities and differences, if any? So let's just dive in. Well, what is freedom? I, I, have you ever thought about that? Could you actually define freedom in one or two sentences? It sounds easy, but it's, I, when I started doing this, I realized it's not that easy. It's not that easy. I mean, I think uh, a lot of us probably view it as freedom from any and all control. I think a lot of people view freedom in that re regard. And that might, be, that might be right. Is it getting your way all the time? Maybe, probably. So of course, we can always look it up in the dictionary. Here it is. And uh, that, that's, kind of the, that's kind of the dictionary definition. The absence of necessity, coercion, or constraint when you're choosing something or doing something. And so necessity, coercion, and constraint really are forms of control, I guess. So in, in essence, they're saying that the, the that freedom is an absence of control. And maybe it is. I don't know. But let's take a let's let's uh, dive in and uh, look at what the Bible says. So um, I did a word search on the Bible uh, in the Bible on the word freedom, and there's quite a bit in there, <laughs> quite a bit. And so I've just picked up a few uh, selected ones here. Uh, Jesus thought it was pretty important in this scripture. Go ahead, Grace. Uh, this is the uh, this is where Jesus is uh, in the temple. Most theologians recognize this moment in time as when Jesus stood up and declared what his ministry was going to be, what his mission was going to be. And in doing so, what he did was he grabbed a scroll and, and he actually quotes Isaiah 61, which says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. And then he goes on to say, 
Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That was a really important, important declaration that he made. And he's saying that he came essentially uh, to help us be free, to bring freedom to us. So if Jesus thought I was important, it must be pretty important. And then, of course, you see other scriptures like these. Uh, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. The Spirit, where the, uh, the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we've heard other freedom scriptures quoted already. By the way, we didn't coordinate any of this. I just, you know, prayed, and the Lord told me to talk about freedom, and then there was all this stuff about freedom earlier, what Brian said about free. I mean, it's just amazing that God put it together like this. So, all right, so Jesus came to give us freedom. That's a big deal. God wants us to have freedom. So my question is, freedom from what? What did Jesus come to give us freedom from? If you look at this scripture from Romans 8, it sort of gives us a clue. It starts out by saying there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Because through Jesus, the law of the Spirit that gives life, has, here it comes, has set us free from the law of sin and death. So Jesus came to set us free from the law of sin and death. All right, I'm a simple person, simple-minded person. What is, my next question is, what is the law of sin and death? So I read a bunch of commentaries, all that kind of stuff, and basically what it is, it's, it's, it's the law. Jesus came to set us free from the law and from, from primarily from sin because the law was part of the old covenant. This is the original deal God made with his people, Israel. And basically, what he said was, I will protect and bless you, Israel, if you're able to keep the law. All right? So the law, so the, the law was there to deal with the big problem. The big problem is sin, because it's sin that separates God from his people. He didn't want to be separated from his people. So the Old Testament law sometimes is referred to as the Mosaic law because it was given to Moses to give to the people, sometimes called the Levitical law because it was administered by the Levite priests. And you'll also find many of these laws in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament of the Bible. But at the end of the day, here's what it was. It was a detailed system of rules and laws that served as a moral compass to guide the lives of these Israelites. It consisted of the Ten Commandments that we're all familiar with, but check this out. Turns out there was over 600 additional rules, laws, and regulations in the law. And really, they were there to create standards of holiness, and they went into to tremendous detail. And so again, the Old Covenant, the deal was, if you keep these, we're, we're going to be good. God's like, we're gonna, it's fine. But if you blow it, I do, God's like, I do have a system where you can get right. It's a sacrificial system. People were allowed to uh, sacrifice an animal, shed the animal's blood uh, to make this, that, or the other sin right. Get, get it atoned for, if you will, to get right with God. And so the old law, the old covenant, had some benefits, but it also had some challenges, obviously, as you can see. Uh, well, first of all, it was powerless to grant salvation. In other words, to... to change our sinful nature. There was no power in the old law to do that. Uh, it was unable to produce true freedom. Again, because there was no power to change people's hearts. But it did expose sin, and it made us aware of what sin was. So that was probably a good thing. But paradoxically, 
it actually stirred up the natural human tendency that is in all of us towards rebellion. When you think about Adam and Eve, for example, God sets them up in this killer place with this wonderful garden, everything's cool, and what does he say? You have complete freedom except you can't eat from this one tree, right? And so what did they do? They did what we probably all would do. We got really curious about what that one tree is all about and eventually, uh, through a series of events, they, they, part, they partook, they ate from that tree. I mean, if you sit a child down and put 10 toys in front of them and tell them you can play with all of them except this one, which one do you think they're going to go for? Yeah. Are we different as adults? We should be. I heard that. I know I should be, but many times I am not. I am not. So the next question is, did God mess up? Was the law a bad deal? Was the old covenant a bad deal? Because, I mean, looking at it logically, I'm like, well, that didn't work because people blew it all the time, and it was a difficult, complex system. There are people, by the way, who are living under that system right now in the world, and they're wonderful people, but can you imagine how complex a life that would be and how, uh, in essence, futile, futile it would be? Uh, but it, does, it is a pretty high standard for sure. So the question is, is the law bad? And in, and in uh, Romans 7, that question is answered because Paul says this, the law is holy, commandment is holy, and it's righteous and good. So the law apparently was good. So what was wrong with it? Well, it wasn't the law. It was our inability to keep the law that was the problem. That was the problem. But the biggest benefit of the whole thing is that it made us aware that we needed something better to change our hearts, to change our sinful nature. Remember, there was no power in the old law. And so we need, God needed and we needed to have a new deal, a new covenant. And in fact, that new covenant was prophesied in Jeremiah 31, which Brian just, ta just talked about. There it is. He, he brought that up just a little while ago. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came. And here's the Je prophet Jeremiah saying, the days are coming where I, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. What he's saying is that there's, gonna, there's a new deal coming, people. And instead of laws written on stone tablets, like the Ten Commandments were, instead of laws written on scrolls, like the Levitical law was, he's going to write his law on our hearts and in our minds. It's going to be really interesting. I wonder what the people thought about that. And for hundreds of years later, that scripture was, or that prophecy, excuse me, was fulfilled during the Last Supper, or at least Jesus declared that it was being fulfilled during the Last Supper, which is also could be called the First Communion. We just did communion a minute ago. And at the, at the Last Supper, the First Communion, Jesus said this. Grace, can you flip to the next one? Thanks. This is uh, during, during the Last Supper. He takes the cup and he says, this cup is, guess what? The New Covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So, what is the new covenant? Well, the new covenant is the gospel. It's the good news, also called the law of the spirit. It's where Jesus' death on the cross is now the only sacrifice we need to bring before the Lord to get right, to have our sins taken care of. When we get saved, we are entering into the new covenant. 
So the old covenant was governed by laws that prescribed correct behavior and that the people continuously broke. But it also contained a sacrificial system, but that system only temporarily removed their sins. Those sacrifices were administered by priests. The priests were the only ones who could go into the presence of God and make these sacrifices. The people themselves could not enter the presence of God. But the new covenant was governed by a law that's, that's not on paper, on stone tablets. It's in our hearts. Uh, it's energized by the Holy Spirit, so there's power in it. The sins of uh, the people are forgiven and removed, not temporarily, but once and for all. Amen. And all because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Not only that, it's not just the priests that have access to the presence of God, but now everybody has access to the presence of God. And finally, remember the old covenant was only for the nation of Israel, only for the Jewish people. The new covenant is for everybody, Jews and non-Jews alike. So how do we get free from this law of sin and death? Well, you know, you've got to get saved. How do we enter into this new covenant? Well, you get saved, right? You, you, you give your life to Jesus. Maybe some of you have done that. Maybe some of you haven't. Uh, but we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But what is actually happening? What, what, what's actually happening when we make the decision to give our lives to the Lord and to get free? How do we become free? Some really interesting scriptures in Romans 6 shed some uh, light on that. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. He's talking about the new covenant. Remember, Paul's cruising around, talking to people in these various churches. Many of them were Jewish people living under the old covenant. This was a radical new concept for them. So this is the new pattern of teaching that has claimed your allegiance. He says, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Next slide. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Hmm. That's interesting. In essence, I think what he's saying is, to become free, we have to become slaves. That's what I'm seeing in there. To become, to be free, you have to become a slave. Now that's interesting. We, we sing songs all the time, but I'm no longer a slave to fear, all that kind of stuff. So what is he talking about here? What is he talking about? It's just, I think it's another one of those kingdom living paradoxes. You know, those things that don't make kind of like logical sense on the surface, but when you dig deeper, it is. Things like, we conquer by yielding. Remember that one? Like turn the other cheek and all that stuff. We find rest when we're under a yoke. That doesn't make sense from a logical perspective, does it? But when you understand the context of, you know, taking on the yoke of Jesus, it does. We're exalted when we're humble. We become wise by being fools for Christ's sake. We gain strength when we're weak. We triumph through defeat. And now we can add to that list, we are free by becoming slaves. Okay, all right, God, whatever. Freedom in Christ is one of the many paradoxes in Christianity. And I, I guess what Paul's saying is a true freedom means willingly becoming a slave to Christ, where God's laws are now written on our heart through the Spirit of God. Remember, the Pharisee came to Jesus one day and said, 
he says, okay, he's got this old system. I'm going to trick this guy, Jesus. He's like, what's the most important law? Because there was apparently hundreds of them. And Jesus boiled it down and made it simple. This is, this is the law he's written on our hearts. He says, the, uh, the law could be boiled down to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love others like you love yourself. That's really what he's been writing on, he's written on our hearts as those who are followers and slaves of God. But this kind of slavery is not the kind of slavery we're used to. When you think about the word slave or slavery, especially in the historical context of this country, it's not positive at all in any way, shape, or form. You think about human trafficking, that kind of slavery, but that's not the kind of slavery he's talking about here. This is a different kind of slave. A slave of God is a different kind of slave. You can use the word servant if you want, if it makes, makes you feel more comfortable. The fact of the matter is, though, is that servants are paid and slaves are bought. And we were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Amen? It's okay to use whatever word you want, but I'm just telling you that the Greek word means slave. And that's okay, because this is a different kind of slave. Because when you're a slave of God, you have complete peace and true freedom. That's not what you would see in the traditional understanding of slavery, right? You are, when you're a slave of God, you're a slave that is free to leave anytime you want. And you can choose whatever you want. You are a slave, now this is interesting, you are a slave that is actually has full rights as a son or daughter of God. You, you're a slave, but you're also a son and daughter of God. And as a son or daughter of God, you have all the rights to inheritance that you would have. And we can inherit everything in the kingdom of God, most important of which is the fact that we get to spend eternity with Jesus after our bodies die and our spirits go to heaven. Amen? That's a pretty cool inheritance. So when we become followers of Jesus, instead of being under compulsion to follow the way, we're doing it voluntarily. Think again back to the New, the New Testament church. The Jewish people have been under this system for centuries, and this is a new thing. And for them, the, understanding this freedom and understanding the limits of this freedom was a real big challenge. And I think it's a challenge today. So that's, it may be very hard to grasp when we choose to become slaves of Jesus, we're really free. I know it's a weird thing to wrap your head around, but it's the truth. We can choose to do anything. And again, this was really hard for that first century church. And so the question became, how do we handle that freedom? I mean, clearly Paul knew as he's, Paul's cruising around explaining this to people. And they're like, what do you mean I'm really free? I can do anything I want. And so let's, let's check out these scriptures from, again, from Romans 6, this time out of the message. Because he knew this was going to be an issue, and it's relevant then, it's relevant now. Since we're out from under the old tyranny, the old covenant, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Answer? Next slide. Hardly. <laughs> Bummer. Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience. This is interesting to me that he says that. Your own experience. Don't take my word for it, he says. Don't listen to some preacher, some podcast. Well, Paul probably didn't say podcast, but you get what I mean. Think about your own life. You know from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that actually destroy your freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. 
Okay, anybody who's dealt with addiction knows what that's all about. And I've shared with you that that was an issue in my life. Uh, when you first start out on that journey, it's a lot of fun, it's freeing, but, and you're in control, but not, it isn't too long before you are serving it and you are a slave to that addiction. He goes on to say, but instead, offer yourselves to the ways of God and the freedom never quits. All your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do, but thank God you've started listening to a new master, one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. As Apostle Paul went about sharing this stuff, the good news, the gospel, the new covenant, some problems began to emerge, as you might imagine. Apparently, in, uh, for example, in the Corinthian church, there were some people there who were misusing their newfound freedom. I think the issue there was they were eating food that was prohibited by the law. It was, it was kind of a technicality thing. And people were like, wow, I don't, I don't have to worry about what kind of food I eat anymore. I can eat whatever I want. So it was kind of one of those gray areas, you know, that's not really addressed in the New Testament, but it was in the Old Testament. So there was causing problems because some people were like, I'm free to eat this food. Other people were like, you can't eat that food. So it was causing problems, right? So... Uh, Here's, here's what he says to them, because they brought this issue to him. They're saying to him, I have the right to do anything. That's what the Corinthians said. And Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. Again, they say, I have the right to do anything. He says, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So they're saying, the Corinthians are like, hey, listen, everything's permissible. And Paul's like, you're right. That is true. Christians have a great deal of freedom. However, not everything is beneficial or constructive. I think he's saying is our freedom in Christ has got to be balanced by a desire to build up, edify, and encourage other people. When deciding how to exercise our freedom, we really, I guess you say, we ought to seek the good of others before our own good. And that, that's a difficult challenge because freedom is inherently something that sort of drives us in a selfish direction. You know, I'm free to do this. I can do this. I don't care what you think, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, he goes on to say this in, in uh, Romans 14. Let's stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in the way of other believers, brothers or sisters. He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, whenever you eat or drink, Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Don't cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. He's trying to please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that people can get saved, right? Essentially, Paul's message to these believers, to these new first century believers, and frankly to us today is this. Even if we believe we're right and we've got freedom in an area, if it's going to cause a problem for another Christian, we should probably not do it. At least not when we're with them. And on top of that, maybe the ultimate goal for the Christian should be to glorify God, edify other believers. And you know what? Maybe we, maybe we need to be concerned about our reputation amongst pre-believers, people who don't know Jesus yet. Because if we're engaged in stuff that might be uh, a problem for them, would, would hinder them from coming to the Lord, you got to ask yourself, is it worth it? In essence, here's, here's what I think he's saying. The only limit to freedom in Christ as a slave of Christ is love. Love is the limiting factor in our freedom. We have to consider other people actually before ourselves. 
you might want to say, with great freedom comes great responsibility. So when we become slaves of Christ, we're absolutely freed from sin. We're freed from the eternal consequences of sin, but not the temporal consequences of sin. We're freed from the power of sin. We're free to live under grace and forgiveness. We're free to serve God because we want to, not because we have to. Amen? <laughs> we're free to become the children of God and therefore heirs of God. We're free to follow and serve him in ways that please and glorify him. And we're free to let love guide how we use our freedom. But that's not where the freedom start, stops. As we serve him, the power of sin in our lives, that sinful nature in us, becomes less and less influential. I got bad news for you. It's still there, though. <laughs> it's still there probably in all of us. But here's the good news. It's not running the show anymore. Amen? This allows us, I think, to discover even more freedom. You know, the day we decided to be to get saved, the day we decided to become slaves of God, essentially, was essentially our declaration of independence. We were saying, look, we're free right now. We, and we were, in fact, free the moment you make that declaration. But just like the original 13 colonies in this country, America, uh, we have an enemy, we have forces at play that don't want us to be free. You know, and those forces are things like our old sin nature, sometimes called the flesh, that rears its ugly head uh, for me frequently, maybe for you less frequently. We bring in bad habits sometimes that persist even for decades from our old lives. Uh, maybe we have ungodly beliefs. For example, I had ungodly beliefs about who God was, and I had ungodly beliefs about who I was. But thank God, he brought me to a place where I began to understand both of those issues a lot better and got a lot of freedom there. There are demonic bondages that can cause problems. The demons obviously want us to have no freedom at all. And we can be under the effect of curses and other forces. There's just a myriad of forces that want to fight us with regard to getting freedom. And so it's not always an easy life, but it is a free life and it's worth it. Amen? It is worth it. So the good news is as we grow and mature, he brings us into increasing levels of freedom. And each of us has a different journey on that road to freedom. For me, as I just mentioned, learning about who God is, that he's not a harsh taskmaster, angry guy, but he's a loving, caring father, that was a huge breakthrough for me. Uh, learning, learning what God had to teach me and Diane about uh, raising our children was a huge breakthrough and gave us a tremendous amount of freedom. I've shared that story before. Applying what God says about, you know, stewarding uh, finances and stuff like that has been a huge blessing to me and to many people in this church. We've done some training and equipping here in this church, and we have like literally dozens and dozens of people here completely debt-free because they began to walk in the freedom that God uh, leads us into in that realm as well. We have a deliverance ministry here where we equip people to, to uh, you know, help others get free from demonic bondages. And I, I got a tremendous amount of freedom through that ministry and continue to get a tremendous amount of freedom through that ministry, through God, through that ministry. And, and specifically for me, I had a lot of problems with rejection and fear. And uh, praise God, I'm free from all that. I'm free from all that. So in summary, I guess I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up now. I just want to say that this is, this is like summary from Captain Obvious. 
Freedom is good. God, God wants us to be free. God wants us to be free. Jesus came to set us free. And when we enter into that new covenant, when we get, when we get saved, we are, in essence, becoming a slave of God, right? You know, you could argue that everybody serves something. Everybody is a slave to something. Bob Dylan wrote a song that's awesome. It's called, You Gotta Serve Somebody. And the premise of the song was, hey, listen, we're all serving something. Even if you're an atheist, agnostic, whatever, everyone serves some sort of philosophy or mindset or narrative or, or whatever. And that's, I think, the paradox of Christian freedom. If you really want to be free, the first step is to become a slave. And, but it's a different kind of slave. And it results in tremendous amounts of freedom that brings tremendous amounts of responsibility. But it's easy to manage it if you just let love, especially love for others, be the limiting factor on how we exercise our freedom. So again, the first step on that road to freedom is to get saved, get free from sin. Maybe, some, maybe someone in this room has never done that. Maybe someone is watching has never done that. Uh, and maybe you, maybe you have done that. Maybe you have gotten saved. Maybe you've given your life to the Lord, but you're not walking in the level of freedom that you want to right now. Maybe you've fallen back into being a slave to sin. Either way, it doesn't matter to God. He wants everyone to be free. He wants everyone to be free. So listen, if this is the first time that you've ever wanted to get free, or maybe you've, you know, slidden back into your sin, all you need to do really is simple. It's just to say a simple prayer. It sounds a little something like this. If you want to get free right now, if you want to get saved right now, just repeat this after me. Lord Jesus, for too long, I've kept you out of my life. I know I'm a sinner and that I cannot save myself. So right now, by faith, I receive your gift of salvation. I accept your sacrifice on the cross as the means to being right with God. I am ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior, and I ask you now to come into my heart and be my Savior. It's that simple, really. Even if you've just slid away and you're struggling with sin right now. So let me just go ahead and conclude by uh, praying yet again, and uh, then we'll wrap it up. So Lord God, we just thank you for freedom. Thank you that you want everyone to be free. Lord God, and thank you that your freedom requires us to become servants and slaves and disciples of you. And Lord God, we accept it willingly and joyfully. And Lord God, we just pray that as we walk with you, you reveal to us ways that we can get even more free. Lord God, show us how to help others get free. And Lord, also show us how to walk in this freedom in a way that honors and loves other people in a way that we don't take advantage of it. We thank you for it, Lord. We bless you. We give you all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.